You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. Good to be back with you. I invite you to turn in your scriptures to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. No, you haven't missed 30 weeks of sermons and we're already here in Samuel, but I think it's a good place for us to start. And we'll get there in a minute. Um, Thank you for those that have uh, prayed uh, for Harrison and I on our trip uh, to Florida last week. We suffered for the kingdom to go south. but it was, it was great. It was a great time. A great destination. Good time with my son. Loved it. But the teaching was great. And uh, we went to a, a conference put on by Founders Ministries. And I think the teaching is online. If you want to be part of that or look that up, um, just some good. Every, every sermon, every message was pointed towards remembering Jesus Christ. And so it's such a helpful time down there. So thank you. We enjoyed our time on that. One encouragement for you just before we kind of get in more into the sermon portion is again to bring to your attention the marriage retreat coming up on February 9th through 10th. I want to try to be a little more direct and encourage you. If you are married, if I don't put your hand up, but if you're of the married category, even if you're of the I would like to get married someday category even, but if especially if you're of the married category, can I plead with you and urge you to come, if you can, if it's possible. We've made it. Tickets are nothing. If that's the problem, if it's price, I understand we live in a busy time. There's lots of things going on. But if there's a way for you to get here, I would encourage you to do that. Not because I'm speaking, because I'm not. Uh, Dave Harvey is. But what he's speaking on is going to point us to the gospel and then the gospel in our marriages. And so our church is built off of healthy, spiritually grounded families which are built off of healthy marriages. We need your marriage in this church. We need your healthy marriage in this church. It, it affects us all. So if I can plead with you, come if you at all can to that, a Friday night and a Saturday. Okay. Well, hopefully by now uh, you're in 1 Samuel 17, and I almost forgot, but I didn't. We've got a couple pictures before we get to our text. One comes from Molly. I don't get a lot from Molly, so thank you, Molly. This was back uh, two weeks ago. We were looking at um, Psalm 73, and she wrote down here, Nevertheless, those words, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Kind of a picture there of the Lord taking our hand and walking with us. I think we had that illustration of walking, taking the hand. So thank you, Molly. There's another one, one more from Kelsey. Uh, We were gone, but you watched George Grant last week, and he talked all about the gospel and its relation to all the pro-life movement. It's really a gospel issue. Um, So helpful. If you missed that, I think it's still on uh, Facebook, but Kelsey, of course, has the cross, the hill of Calvary there, not Calvary, Calvary, and the cross of Christ, the gospel. So thankful for that. Thankful for you kids that continue to draw pictures and do those today as, as we go along here. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 17, I'm going to start in verse 42, just middle of this one of probably a very famous story and account in Scripture of David and Goliath, 
David has just tried to put on the armor of God, or <laughs> the armor of God, the armor of Saul. It didn't work out so well. Uh, he went down. He's got his stones in his pouch, his sling in his hand. Uh, Philistine moves forward, comes near to David, and here's verse 42. Listen to God's word. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Let's pray again. Father, as we come to your word, and in particularly this, the, particular this book of 1 Samuel, and we begin on this journey to work through this book, which is really your word. We pray that your word did, would do the work it intends, where it needs to convict our lives of sin, and where we have rebelled, and where we continue to stray May you pull us back by your word, draw us back to you. So correct us, train us, rebuke us, Lord, reprove us in righteousness as we begin this study, even today. Lord, use this time for your glory, um, that we would walk, we would walk in faithfulness, and we would follow you who are the, the God of the armies of Israel, you who don't need spear, to save, you do it by your hand. And you use people, but it's by your hand. Help us to see your mighty hand today as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are beginning today this study on the book of 1 Samuel. Some of you already have gotten the little helpful scripture journal. Feel free to get up if you missed them. They're on a little table. If you want that, feel free to use that. Um, kids, I, I put, uh, I think adults take the journal... Kids, if that's something that you can use and you would use a journal, feel free to use that as well. Take your notes. You're welcome to those. Uh, may they be a help to you in this. They're thicker this time, aren't they? Um, we just did Ruth in Sunday school. It was pretty thin. This is thick, so we've got kind of a, tell Pat, we've got a two-for-one here. So we've got two, two books of Samuel, but, but hopefully you use those. What I'm going to cover today, if you're looking for notes, I think there's one blank page on the front or there's a couple in the back. That might helpful, be helpful because we're not quite in chapter 1. Today we're doing some background work a little bit, if that's helpful for you to know where to take those notes. But kids, there's pad, steno pads there, and I leave it up to you if you need some different journal. Ladies, some very fancy journal. Go get one and uh, find one. Whatever it takes, kids, use the journals. Use them to draw pictures. Um, what would help you follow along as we look into God's Word. So before we get much into the study of First Samuel itself, 
it's always helpful just to think about, again, to go back, what's our place in history? Where does this particular book, and hopefully you've found it, where does 1 Samuel land in, in the broad history um, of time? And so I want to take you back very briefly. We're not going to cover it all, but back to the beginning to spend maybe four minutes here of just history to get up to this point. Where are we in this book of Samuel? So we come back, takes us all the way back, doesn't it, to the book of Genesis, even the first words, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. And so Genesis records this global creation of the world, that God creates everything. So it's the Lord's. And you can read about the creation there of of everything, but specifically, God creates man. He creates a male and female made in the image of God, which is what we're studying here in Sunday school these days. And so there's this good creation, man and woman, made. But by chapter 3, of course, you know, Genesis 3, mankind, Adam as its head, rebels against the command of God. And so by, by the third chapter of our Bible, man has fallen into sin, and sin enters into what was a good creation. And so death comes. We see a sort of climax of that as we get to the flood, that evil was there continually, and then there's this Noah and this flood that takes place, and that God saves only Noah and his family through this flood that devastates and kills everyone. But even after that flood, sin continues to corrupt the world. But by Genesis chapter 12, we come across one named Abram at the time. You know him as Abraham. We can put up the first map here, Caleb. Thank you. Just pulled this off. This is a a current map, but off of Google Earth. And so we find one named Abram. And he, in fact, is not... uh, i got to turn it up. There we go. Abram didn't originate in what we know as Israel. Actually, over he was in Ur of the Chaldees. So think of Babylon is where God calls Abram out, or Abraham later calls him out, to come to this land of promise what we would think of as the land of of Israel. And we see God's hand leading mankind, but also we see the effects of sin along the way. You can leave that map up for now as as we go through this journey. Abraham, of course, has a son. His son is named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Later, Jacob would become Israel. And Jacob, so we got Abraham down to Isaac to Jacob. Jacob has, it's like Bible trivia time, his 12 sons, 12 sons, the tribes, what we refer to as the 12 tribes of Israel. And eventually, while they're in the land of what we think of as Israel, a famine comes upon this people. And so 70 people from Israel make a trip from the land of Israel down to the land of Egypt. Now, I left out something there because This is all God had already gone before this family to save them. Remember how he went before them? Through one named Joseph, sold into slavery. Joseph had already gone before them into Egypt. Not knowing this, God was at work. These 70 people of Israel come down to eventually live in Egypt. And as time passes in Egypt, Israel's a people, they grow, and yet they're also subjected to harsh treatment by the Pharaoh, the king, the the ruler of the land. And that's where we get into the book of Exodus. So Genesis, creation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 tribes, Exodus, we get into the exit. So 
So Israel is in the land of Egypt. They're subjected by this Pharaoh, but God is greater than the Pharaoh. And all those plagues come against the so-called gods of the Egyptians. And eventually, the firstborn of Pharaoh dies. God subjects him to that. And God delivers Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, led by Moses through the Red Sea. And from there, on the other side, God gives them the law. We think of the Ten Commandments, but it's greater than that. The, gives them the law. We think of uh, Leviticus and that book and even Exodus. And we see those things there. And so God takes them out from Egypt and eventually brings them through to the land closer to the promised land back to Israel. But even with all this, when Israel is just close to coming back into the land and it's just about there, they send in the, remember the spies in Numbers? They send in the spies. They come back, only two, Joshua and Caleb say, yeah, let's go for it. The rest, no way, they're too big. And the people do what? They grumble. They're fearful. At the core, the people of Israel fail to believe the promises of God. And so they're made, again, in the wilderness to wander. For 40 years, there's this wandering until this generation passes away, until another generation comes. And so eventually, and Caleb, you can put the next slide now, eventually they come to this land of Israel. They come to this eastern side of the Jordan River. That's really where we began as we've gone through books in this historical section where we came to the book of Joshua. And it's there on this eastern side of the Jordan River where Moses is going to die and God raises up Joshua to lead the people finally into the promised land. And you remember some of that. Even there, the Jordan parts for them to cross on dry ground into the promised land. You remember the walking around Jericho and the walls falling down. Uh, There's stories of the sun standing still in the book of Joshua. And eventually Israel, not perfectly, but eventually they will inhabit the land, what we think of as Israel. But the book of Judges, now we're getting a little closer to, you know, what we might remember, what we've studied, the book of Judges shows us a people in the land. They're in this land of Israel here. Things, though, are far from perfect, aren't they? If you remember anything about Judges, you just remember even maybe the cycle, the time and again cycles of the people. of They abandon God. They would abandon Him often. Then they face His judgment. Then they repent. And then God sends a deliverer for them. So there's kind of this, this cycle of they go off in their sin and abandoning the Lord. He brings a judgment, maybe another nation against them. They cry out in repentance. We're sorry. Come back to us. Help us. And God sends a deliverer. Uh, maybe like an Ehud or a Shamgar. Or you remember maybe uh, Deborah or Gideon or Samson. Just a couple of the, the judges of the land. So time and again, Israel fails her God. Fails God. And time and again, God is so gracious to His people. Their hearts, we said there, their hearts are corrupt. And they're in need of an incorruptible king. In fact, the last verse of Judges, now we're getting really close to Samuel, says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And at least there in our English Bible, we come to the book of Ruth, which we've looked at in Sunday school. It's set during that time of Judges. And we see this transition in Ruth even from from uh, the judges kind of 
now peaking towards the monarchy, the kingship, the rule, because Ruth is married to Boaz, and they have Obed, who has Jesse, whose son is David. And we see that in Ruth. And so we're prepared now for King David to come on the scene. And, and at that point now, we get to 1 Samuel. So David is yet to come on the scene in, in the book of 1 Samuel, not till chapter 16, but that's where the movement is. It's towards kingship in Israel. But again, as we're going to see throughout, corrupt hearts did not stop in the book of Judges. They continue even in this book, and we're going to see them again. And ultimately, there's a longing that remains, I think, for the truly incorruptible king who is not a Saul, not even a David as much as he had a heart for God, but the true, the anointed one, the Messiah who would come, who we just not many weeks ago celebrated coming to Bethlehem. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. So as we think about 1 Samuel, for much of history, uh, the Hebrew Bible put these two books together. So First and Samuel were really just Samuel. They were in the, in the, the Jewish way of ordering the books in what's called the former prophets. Uh, historically interesting in the centuries, just a few centuries before Christ, a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible was written called the Septuagint. It means just 70 scholars worked on translating the Hebrew they kind of labeled Samuel along with kings as, quote, books of kingdoms, books of kingdoms, four books in all. So for this Septuagint, it was like first and second kings, which is really first and second Samuel, and then third and fourth kings, which is our first and second kings. So if, I bring that up because it's only helpful to see Samuel is not too disconnected from kings. We're in a kind of a almost a section of four books, and even within Samuel, you've got a, a helpful journal that puts them together, and I think it's okay to see it that way because at the end of 1 Samuel, we're just left with Saul has died. That's kind of where it ends. And so there is, there's a break of sorts because then David, you know, his kingship comes and we get through 2 Samuel. We get through promises to David, but also his, his failures. And so it gives you a little of a, an idea. But it, all in all, it's a historical book to show us history. But context-wise, just coming back to 1 Samuel, if it helps for an outline, it's actually quite simple. You've got just three characters. There's more than three characters, but three main ones, Samuel, Saul, and David. And it kind of forms a simple outline. If you think of chapters 1 through 7, maybe 1 through 8, but let's just go with 1 through 7, you've got Samuel. If you divide it up this way, here's Samuel. He's, he's considered one of the last judges although we see some judges around him as well. Um, but chapters 1 through 7 really going to highlight Samuel's birth and then his rise to leadership in Israel along with the downfall of Eli the priest. So in my, the ESV study Bible says kind of there's this X going on. So as Eli the priest has a downfall and goes downward, his sons Hophni and Phinehas, they are not good guys. So Samuel is on the rise in Israel. So it forms kind of this X pattern. So that's Samuel, chapters 1 through 7. Chapters 8 through 15, now we get into Saul. 8 through 15, Saul. And again, they, they bleed into other chapters here, of course, because he doesn't die till the end. But really, here's the kingship of Saul. Israel wanted a king like the other nations, and the answer, it's Saul. And so Saul is the first king of Israel, but his, 
his reign really is less about his victories than his, his failures. And so eventually by chapter 15, he loses the kingship, though, though the, the narrative, the story continues of him uh, chasing down David. And which brings us to David. And so the last section, and then going into 2 Samuel, really chapters 16 through 31, you could say, are of David. We're introduced to the shepherd boy, the, the giant killer who's going to rise to be the king of Israel. And again, not apart from his own trials, really, with Saul along the way, who's seeking to take his life more than once. And so, as I said, by the end of 1 Samuel, Saul has died on the battlefield, and then 2 Samuel goes on to showcase David's rise to, to his kingship, along with, honestly, his failures as well. So that gives you just a little bit of lay of the land here, but what about some of the mechanics of the book? What about uh, when was this book written and, and who wrote this book? And so for some of those questions, I can be quite succinct and quite short. We don't know. But of course, there's always more. There's a little more to that. It, the answer is a bit more. So let me give you this. When we think of dates, when was this book written? We want to think of dates in in two ways here, thinking of a book. Number one is, when did the actual events that we're reading about, when did those take place? That's a little clearer to us. We, we can get those and how they do it, I'm amazed, but they can take one date from somebody somewhere, and then if you work backwards with the numbers and the years, and you kind of work backwards and you get it. So the Bible's not just going to come out and say, here's this and this and this, not all the time. Sometimes it does, but kind of work backwards, and so scholars are pretty sure it's some of these dates. So remember, history counts down in the B.C. area. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think they themselves at the time were counting down. <laughs> okay, We look back and, and do that, but it counts down. So let me give you some, if you're at, into dates and you want some numbers, um, around 1080, so the year 1080 or 1080, we have the birth of Samuel. Samuel born, 1080. Uh, 1052 or 1052, we're counting down, Saul begins to reign. We've got 1080, Samuel's born. 1052, Saul begins to reign. In 1010 B.C., 1010, David begins to reign. I think I was told in seminary, you know, if you just think of a thousand, that's easy, round it off. David, all this just happening around a thousand B.C. will be helpful. It, it bleeds into the 900s and goes, you know, back up. A little, bit, a little bit. So between 1,100 and 1,000, maybe 900, somewhere in there, that's the time frame of the events of when these things are happening. So good hooks to put your mind on that. So 1,000 years, what, before Christ would, would come. That's where we're at in history. But secondly, then, the harder part, when, when was the book written? When did the pen go to, you know, the, the ink per se, and when was the book written down? And again, that is more unsure. Um, it could be written by... Uh, um, oh, let's see. I missed my place here. Okay. Yeah, some have this, this book written many years uh, later, like when Israel would be exiled to Babylon. So Israel eventually will be taken out of this land. That's, that's forecast out at the end of Second Kings. They'll be taken out. Some people say, well, that's when Samuel was written back in that time. I, I think it's a little more close to think maybe it was written sometime at the end of David's reign or Solomon 
his son who took over the kingship, somewhere around there. So, so close to this time period, but a little, a little further on, which again comes to then our author. That's where I skipped you, our author. Who, who wrote this? And of course, we want to say, well, maybe it's Samuel, but nothing comes out and just says, I, Samuel, have, have written this. It could be. The problem is when you get to 1 Samuel 25, Samuel dies. And so you're kind of going, how did he write the rest of First, you know, the rest of Samuel. If you want to go here, go to First Chronicles 29. So head right, First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 29. So really at the end of First Chronicles here, chapter 29, verse 29, there's an implication. I think this is the clearest, although, again, we just got to say we're not sure. If you head to First Chronicles, not second, but first, chapter 29, down at the, the, the last part, verse we can just do verse 26 to the end. You've kind of got the ESV title there, The Death of David. And this is kind of interesting here. Let's read this. David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Okay, so that, there's kind of a marker. So if you can know another date, then you can go backwards and figure some of these things out. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Then he died at a good age, full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. Now, here's where maybe some are, are looking at this and saying, okay, we've got some help here. Now, the acts of King David from first to last are written in the chronicles of Samuel the seer and in the chronicles of Nathan the prophet and in the chronicles of Gad the seer with accounts of all his rule and his might and of the circumstances that came upon him and upon Israel and upon all the kingdoms of the countries. So perhaps you've got something here, at least an allusion to maybe Samuel, uh, maybe Nathan, maybe Gad, maybe they wrote Samuel or maybe their references or their works were referenced to the writing of Samuel here. Maybe that's the closest. Again, no one's sure. Except what are we sure of? It's God's word to begin with. He is the ultimate author of Scripture by His Spirit. And so we come. Some of these we don't know exactly who, but we trust in the one who has written it by His Spirit. And so lastly, kind of a question here, thinking back in Samuel, who's the audience then? Who is this written to? And again, with the, with the date kind of unclear, it's not we're not so sure, but we know this narrative, this account is given to Israel, to the people of Israel. And, and I think while they were still in the promised land, before being exiled. And so very practically, historically, it shows them this progression from, you know, we've got Ruth and, and Boaz, but we've got Samuel to Saul to David. So you've got this history of the kings. But it's, it's more than just a history book. It's more than just learn this, you know, let's write down 1000 B.C., write down some dates. Because spiritually, theologically, I think reading through the story itself, and, and if you get a chance to read through it, you begin to see more than just mere history here and how Israel got a king. And so, so lastly, I just want to think briefly with you about the narrative itself. What, what about this, this story? And so though we see Samuel, we see him as the judge, we see the fall of Eli the priest, there's the rise of 
the man Saul, and then his fall, and then the rise of David to kingship. I think as you read through Samuel, you'll see there is one greater king, one greater sovereign king over all that is taking place. For this then, would you head back to 1 Samuel chapter 2? 1 Samuel 2. We're going a few places today to get a lay of the land, but I think we're, we're helped here by some of these places, and for one, by Hannah's prayer here in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. Now, we're going to come, it won't be a few weeks here, but we'll be back and we'll be studying this, even this, this praise song uh, in depth. But I want to read this prayer of praise from the lips of Hannah, who had been barren and now has given birth to Samuel and lent him to the Lord. And so listen maybe for a theme of these books here. Hannah prayed and said, chapter 2, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There's none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble by none strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the power of His anointed. It's hard to not see, even within this prayer, a sort of theme emerge. And what emerges, I think, throughout the narrative and the storyline of Samuel. Who is the Lord? How is He described here? Verse 8 says, The pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world. Earlier, it's the Lord who makes poor and rich, brings low and exalts. And then look at verse 9 again. Verse 9, He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. Not by might shall a man prevail. Man does not prevail here by his own might, but how? What's the implication? By the Lord. In First and Second Samuel, correct any man or woman, anyone who would say they prevail in, in my own wisdom, in my own might, I have done this. We see God, God uses David, but it's not David that ultimately defeats Goliath. David doesn't defeat him because he's such a good shot or he's so courageous. It's God, in fact, who ultimately kills the giant. The the false god of Dagon that we're going to read about 
an awesome story. The false god is flat before the ark of God, the ark of the Lord. It's the Lord that you're going to see throws the Philistines into confusion, and they're routed. God works through Jonathan in battle. And then he even spares, later on, just a beautiful story, he spares David from grant, giving out personal revenge when he should leave it to the Lord. And so if you look for it, God's at work all over the place in this book, and I look forward to studying it here. One commentator, Ronald Youngblood, I love the different names, of, you're going to hear him, you know, Doug Moo was, or Moo was Romans, you'll probably hear about Youngblood here. He speaks on the purpose of these books. And then regarding the real sin of Israel, you know, Israel will come along and ask for a king. And he talks about the real sin for Israel in asking for a king, you know, when God was to be their king. He said, their sin consisted in the fact that they were asking for a king, quote, to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. In other words, they refused to believe that the Lord would grant them victory in his own time and according to his own good pleasure. They were willing, sinfully here, to exchange humble faith in the protection and power of the Lord Almighty for misguided reliance on the naked strength of the fighting men of Israel. And so certainly God calls men and women to faithfulness, to holiness, I think Samuel shows here, ultimately, God works despite man's strength. And so men prevail as they walk in dependent faithfulness on the Lord. Tom Schreiner notes, in addition to 1 Samuel 2, where you're at, that David's words in 2 Samuel, near the end, they function as an interpretive key for reading 1 and 2 Samuel. So I want to take you there, one of... Two places yet we need to go. So now look at the end of 2 Samuel. And I know that's not our main focus in this series. It's 1 Samuel, but eventually, I don't know when, we'll get there. And go to chapter 22. You remember back in our study of Mark, we talked about sandwiches in Mark and stories within, you know, the, the, you get the... The crown, right, it's the crown in the bottom bun and the sandwich in between. And I think in some ways, Samuel is sandwiched by 1 Samuel 2 and the end here. We're, not, we're close to the end, but 22 and 23 of 2 Samuel. I think that's what Tom Schreiner is getting at here. Now, if you look at it, it's quite long. I'm not going to read it all, but just let me give you a taste of some of the places here that, again, this theme, not by might shall a man prevail, but by the Lord. See if that shows up in here. So look at 2 Samuel chapter 22. I'm just going to pick a few places to land here and, and then brief comment. Chapter 22, I will start with verses 1 through 7. David spoke to the Lord the words of the song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock, and my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, 
The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry came to his ears. Jump to verse 17. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Skip down. Verse 32. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Where's the glory here, right? Verse 36, you've given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. And then just the last two verses, chapter 22, for this, uh, verse 50, for this I will praise you, O Lord among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed to David and his offspring forever. You begin to see the, the sandwich, the brackets, and what forms this theme if we take First and Second Samuel as a whole even. It's God who delivers. It's God who saves. God is the Lord and He is sovereign in all of these places. And then God shows His steadfast love to His anointed, to David and his offspring. To which turn to one last place. And we're done turning to Acts chapter 13. One last stop on thinking about 1 Samuel. And I came across this, and it just seemed like a fitting place to kind of encapsulate the broad picture and yet the aim at the same time. And so we come, we come back. We didn't get too far from Paul. We're back to Paul. We're back to the New Testament, helping us see the big picture here. Paul is preaching here in Acts chapter 13. We're gonna, I'll start midway in verse 16 here. Acts 13, verse 16. He's preaching in a Jewish synagogue at Antioch. And so today, again, with the history of Israel in our mind and Samuel, let's just read how this road leads to Christ. So we start in kind of midway, verse 16. And following, men of Israel, Paul says to them, gathered the synagogue here, men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, He gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. 
And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. Though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And then when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he's spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Now contrast David and Messiah. Verse 36, for David after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. David was not sinless, as Second Samuel is going to show whenever we get there. He was a great king. He had a heart after God, but he also committed the sin of adultery and murder and theft, and he saw corruption. He died. But the greater David, Jesus Christ, was raised from the dead. He's the sinless one. He's the blameless one. And so he's the hope of all who believe in him, who are forgiven on account of his death, on the cross. So your own, on your own, and your own might cannot save you. You cannot be blameless enough, and we see that testimony in the Old Testament in the people of Israel. You can't be good enough, you can't be faithful enough, because you, like Adam, are bound in sin. And so you need, you and I need an advocate, we need a redeemer, we need a savior. And I call on you today, put your trust in Jesus, the true offspring of David, the Messiah, the Savior, and be forgiven of sins and live for him as your Lord. And if you know the Savior, then today, even from what we've studied, rest in him. Your own might, much as we want to control the day, our own might can't control the day, let alone even tomorrow. Your prevailing is not by your strength. So why do we live our lives as if we can control things? The, the call of First and Second Samuel 
There is a call. Be faithful. Follow the Lord, yes. But undergirding all that, underneath that, the foundation is laid for following. Because following is by the Lord's mighty hand to deliver, to guide us, and that hand that ultimately rules the day. So may we acknowledge with David before Goliath, the battle is the Lord's. Let's pray. Father, again, praying, Lord, you would encourage us through your word. And I praise you for a book to study like 1 Samuel. At first glance, so many of these books, we just look and say, well, there's history. We'll understand a bit of what happened back then, just so we know. It's way more. There is way more. Because you, Lord, are way more. May we learn the lessons, and many of them, not just one, but may we learn, I think, this grand theme that is not by our might that we would prevail, that we would not trust in, a, in an earthly king or any earthly power, including our own, but we would trust in the might and strength and the rock who is our God, the Lord, and in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose blood shed forgives us, whose spirit works in our hearts, to give us faith, to look and so believe and so be born again and so live with you now and forever. So may the hope of Christ, this offspring of David, live in us as we walk in a fallen world and we deal with fallen things and we live in a fallen marriage and a fallen relationships and all these areas. May we trust in your might to strengthen us as we walk. Pray this all. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.